Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Welcome to Ivy Church. If you've been with us from the start of the year, then you'll know that we're in Ivy's year of mercy. And this morning's service is called Just Love. And we're going to be looking at the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. And Sarah Small is going to be speaking to us on that. But it's about how Jesus calls us to love others just as we love ourselves. Because he is the real example of how love looks. And today is Eden Sunday, where we get to celebrate the incredible Eden Network. And shortly, like I say, we'll be hearing from Sarah Small, who's also one of our elders here at Ivy, But nine years ago, she, along with her husband Steve, headed up an Eden team on Eden Merseybank, which is now led by Heather and Leighton Walters. But what God has done within that community is just incredible. It is wonderful. With a church now on the estate that has been raised and built from within the estate, with people who have come to know Jesus who didn't know him before. It is honestly so beautiful. And throughout this morning, we're going to get to hear from two of those guys who are part of the church in the Eden Mersey Bank. We're going to hear from two testimonies from Jen and Sam of the incredible transformation of their lives when they came to know Jesus. I was walking through the estate and I walked past the den and it was an opening day and from that moment I just I, I just felt like a, a bond with them and what they did and how they did it the fact that it weren't just like a Christian job that they would really this is mission work for him and seeing them put that into practice having kids and going to the same schools as our kids and not everything and really stepping out in faith uh, Eden Mersey Bank, I absolutely adore him. I don't necessarily like to put the name Eden because they're not just Eden to me, they're personal friends, each and every one of them. They are family to me. started volunteering at the Den Cafe and I really, really enjoyed that. I was learning more about Jesus, the Bible, about going to church, not just through a traditional way, actually connecting with it and it was Steve who got in touch with me a little bit later and said there's a discipleship and job going at the mess cafe at the MEC and it weren't necessarily the job that got me it was the hearing about the discipleship and it just switched it my faith up totally I was surrounded by people who'd been through the same stuff Eden and that place and all that has done for me is what I take and gets me strengthening my relationship with Jesus. There's just such a deep peace about everything that no matter what happens is a deep peace and that's because God's surrounding me with amazing people who stepped out of the boat to help to go out and do these things and to do it in real life situations and then he put me in a place with people who were doing the same journeying together and providing the tools to equip me but walking with Jesus properly and Monday to Sunday, 24-7, not just on a Sunday. And I'm so grateful for that and I thank God for that every single day. Mersbank is a quite close 
network, uh, uh, bit low poverty, but what we uh, lack in low poverty, we make up in love and attention. And uh, that's why being part of the ED team, loving your neighbour, it all sort of fits in. People got problems, they all stick together. Uh, we might not have much, but what we got, we share. Lost my mum eight years ago, lost dad seven and a half years ago. Lost my house, career, lost everything. I was really bad with the drinking and uh, I just said one day, if it is a God, please help. And uh, a day or two after, I met uh, a person from the Eden team and she asked me to do some volunteering at the Den Cafe on the Mersbank Estates. And I did, at the beginning, I tried to fight it, but the more I fought it, the more I was shown different things and then I decided uh, to become a Christian with help from the, the Eden team. Being a Christian has helped me understand the difference it actually makes to people. To you it might not seem a lot, but to somebody who's really, really struggling in, in lots of different ways, whether it be homeless or drugs or, or whatever, at that time it, it just we, we take a lot of things for granted and when you're low on your feet, like I've known because I was there once myself, it really, really matters. Isn't God good? Aren't those stories so encouraging? And they're just two tales from around the network. And obviously they're the ones that we want to be showing here this morning because Sam and Jenny are both linked with the Eden Merseybank team, which, as Louise said, launched nine years ago. Can you believe it? It was nine years that you guys prayed us out. We've had the Den Cafe. We've had the Eden bus. And now we really sense that we're in a new season. And the last year has been tough. COVID has caused many of our projects and our programs to shut and to stop down and to pause um, but actually it's enabled us to really focus on the ones and the twos and how we support and love and bring our neighborhood closer together as we face significant adversity together so I just want to say before anything else thank you thank you so much for praying for us Thank you so much for supporting us with your finances, with your help, with your time. Thank you to those of you who volunteered with us, who've actually seen firsthand the joy of serving your community and have used your gifts and your skills and your talents to help bless people. Thank you, Ivy Church, for all that you've given to the Eden Network. And as I said, that's just one story. Over the last 23 years, the Eden Network, as part of the Message Trust family, has been working in over 70 different communities. And today, communities across the nation and churches across the nation are also going to be celebrating their own stories, their own testimonies, their own faithful servants who've gone and lived in community, and their own partner churches who've prayed and loved and given and served because we do this work together. And it's such a privilege and such a joy and I'm really pleased to be able to come and speak to you this morning and I'm going to be talking about the parable of the good Samaritan now who loves being asked questions I don't know about you but I get asked about a bazillion questions every single day uh, and that has not got better since we got one of those Google things because now our kids ask me the question and then they go and ask Google the question uh, to see who is actually correct and more often than not frustratingly it's Google and it's not me. But when it comes to questions we have got some set formulas haven't we? We expect certain responses. If I say to you how are you? 
I really just want you to say, I'm fine. I don't want you to tell me about your problems and all your challenges. It's just a very simple transaction, isn't it? If I make a comment about the weather, oh, isn't it lovely weather today? I expect you to go, yes, or oh, no, it's awfully cold, isn't it? We're really looking forward to spring. <laughs> if I ask you when coronavirus is going to be over, what I'd like you to say is soon uh, and not, oh, probably 2025. You know, we have certain expectations when we're asking and answering questions. When we ask questions, we do so for two reasons. One of them is to find out information. That's why kids ask so many questions, because they're always learning. They want to find out. They want to understand every single day. My three-year-old asks me, why is it dark at tea time? Every single day, I tell him lots of different answers to that question, and never any of them really satisfy. But he wants to find out information because he's hardwired to learn. All of us are hardwired to learn, to explore this funny world we live in, to understand this thing called life but also we ask questions to establish the relationship that we have with one another sometimes we ask a question to show someone up sometimes we ask a question to interrogate someone perhaps in an interview setting or worse and those then can be quite competitive quite combative almost so questioning can be a cooperative experience where you're working together to find something out, but or it can be competitive where you're trying to outdo someone. You're trying to show them up. You're trying to score points. You're trying to make your point. You're trying to establish your superiority. And we're going to see an example of this in our story. You see, Jesus was the master of questions. He asked great questions and he didn't always give the answers that we expect. So if you've got a Bible with you or you've got a Bible on your phone, then turn to the book of Luke, where we're going to read together from chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. The parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, 
You may have heard this story hundreds of times, or perhaps you've only heard it today for the first time. We can't assume uh, where everybody is hearing this, where you're at, and what you know about the Bible. But there are four really great questions in this story that I'd love us to dig into today, that hopefully will shed a bit of light, a bit of fresh thinking, and also a bit of challenge for us as we read it. So the first question is asked by the legal expert, and he says to Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this guy is a legal expert. What does that mean? It means that he spent his entire life studying the law. He knows the law of Moses, the law of the Israelites, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and everything that God commanded inside out. Not only does he know it inside out, he tells other people about it. And he's responsible for safeguarding those laws, for making sure that other people do what is right and what is said as well. He is a privileged man. He's educated. He's got status in his society. People look up to him. This is the guy with the power. And now he gets his moment with Jesus. He'll have heard tales of this itinerant fellow wandering around the, the countryside with bands of ragtag followers, disciples, and strange stories about miracles and telling disturbing things about God and God's kingdom. And finally, he gets his moment. And this is combative questioning. This is not a cooperative experience. This guy has come to show Jesus who is boss and to expose what really is the truth. Little does the guy know that not only is he talking to an expert in the law, he's talking to the guy who wrote the law. So he sets out his test. And it's not actually an entirely bad question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a question, perhaps, that many of us have asked in some form or another. What is life about? How do I have a good life? What happens when I die? How do I ensure that this life is lived to the best possible purpose? How do I ensure that I get to heaven after I die? We ask these sorts of questions quite regularly. People want to know, what is the point of all of this stuff? Why are we going through it? Why are we here? Why do we exist? But if you dig into his question a little bit more closely, you'll see that it's got a wrong focus. Because he asks, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, he thinks it's all about his own actions. He thinks it's all about him. He thinks it's all about something that he can achieve, some law that he can keep, some rule that he can observe, some action that he can take, which will enable him to have eternal life. And yet as Christians, we've come to understand, we've come to learn that we can't do this for ourselves. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus lived. This is why Jesus died, to give us a way back to God, because there is nothing that we can do to earn a place in heaven. We are inherently broken, sinful people. And so he asks his individualistic question. He brings his intellectual self to Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? Well, he asks him a question back, which we hate, don't we, in real life? If you ask a question, you want an answer, and probably the answer you expect, not another question. But Jesus brings him this second question, and he comes back to him and he says, what is written in the law? And secondly, he says, how do you read it? Jesus exposes something about our reading of the Bible. 
We all read the Bible with a lens, with an idea, with an interpretation that comes often from our culture or our context or our own understanding. We read the Bible, we read things into the Bible and onto the Bible. That's why there's so many different interpretations that come out of churches and Christians because we're always trying to read what we want the Bible to say, not what the Bible is actually saying to us. And this guy, again, gives a pretty good answer. He says, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. We spent a whole series looking at this, didn't we, just before Christmas. How do we love God wholeheartedly? How do we put him first with all of our strength and all of our soul, and all of our mind and loving our neighbor as ourself? We dug into that. And, you know, his understanding of scripture is excellent. He knows it. He knows what it says and he's able to repeat it. And Jesus agrees with him. He says, yeah, do this and you will live. But the problem is the teacher knows all this information, this legal expert. He knows it all in his head. But there seems to be some problem with how he puts it into action because he has to ask another question. He needs some more clarity. He needs Jesus to be a bit more clear and don't we fall into this trap as well all the time if Jesus or God asks us to do something? Aren't we always saying, do you really mean that? What exactly do you want me to do? How is this going to happen? You know, we're very good at putting off obedience and asking for more details. And this is what he does. You see, he wants to know who is his neighbor. So he comes back with this question to Jesus. Again, he says, who? Who is my neighbor? Who exactly do I have to love? If you're telling me that I've got to love people, and that's a key part of loving God, of the scriptures, of the law, of the faith that I have, who, who's the person? Because when it comes to Jewish culture, it was very clear. There were some people, Jews, who were clean, who were holy, who were pure, who were worthy of love and care. And he would have spent his life um, loving and caring the people within his circle, within his faith, within his community. But there were some very clear lines about who was out, about who was not pure, about who was not holy, about who was an outcast and who was unclean and who was unlovable. And he just needed to be very clear that Jesus was saying what he thought he was saying, which was love my neighbor who is like me and not those other people, right? Not those outsiders. I don't need to love them. He needs to know where the limit of love is. Who's in and who's out? Where's the line? Where's the bottom line? And what is the most and the least he has to do in order to gain his eternal life? We often ask the same question, don't we? Think about your neighbourhood. Think about the people who occupy the same spaces as you. Maybe bring to mind some of the more interesting characters who live near you. What about the person who seems to always be drinking in the morning? What about the young kids who've got those new electric scooters who nearly took you out three times on the school run the other day and they just, you know, they just ride around and it drives you crazy? What about that house of asylum seekers down the road and they don't really come out and they're a bit secretive and they don't speak English and they're just, they're just a bit strange. Like, what about them? What about that lady who seems to have some issue with mental health and she's always talking to herself on the street corner? Surely not them, not them. You know, I can, I can love my, my lovely Christian neighbour. I can love my um, nice school friends and school mum friends, but, 
but not them, surely. Surely there's a line, right? And we ask these questions all the time. I don't really have to love them, do I? So Jesus tells this story to get the legal expert thinking and to challenge his mindset, to challenge his worldview. And in so doing, he challenges everything that this legal expert believes and understands about God and about godliness. He tells this story about three people who find a half-dead man, but only one of them really sees him. Only one of them has compassion. Only one of them stops and gives willingly of his own resources, of his time, of his money, of his own security. This was a dangerous road. It wasn't a place to be hanging around. Of his honour, to take a half-dead person onto your donkey and take them to an inn would have looked a very suspicious and strange and dishonourable thing to do in that culture. But this guy risks everything to save this man's life. The picture is so stark, you can't help but miss, you can't miss the point. Two men fail, one man succeeds. And he doesn't just succeed, does he? The Samaritan is outstanding in terms of the love and the mercy and the care that he shows for his fellow human being. He is a model for mercy. He is a model for love. And so we come to Jesus' final question. He's painted his picture. He's made his point. He now asks the legal expert to confirm his conclusion, to show that he has understood the point of the story. So Jesus turns to the legal expert and says to him, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Now, it's a pretty easy question to answer, you'd think. Jesus has made a pretty obvious point. And yet there's more to this story than even we understand. Because the religious expert couldn't actually answer the question fully. He couldn't bring himself to say the name of the man who showed mercy. He couldn't bring himself to acknowledge that the hero of Jesus' story was not a legal expert, was not a Jewish follower, was not a religious teacher, but was a hated foreigner, was a Samaritan was one who was outcast to the extreme, was not just out of the circle, was opposed to the circle, was enemy to God, was enemy to his people, was absolutely offensive. This story is shocking in the extreme if you dig into the context and understand the relationship between Jews and Samaritans. So he doesn't even say the name. He just responds the one who had mercy. He was so offended. He was so challenged. The core of everything he believed had suddenly been exposed. The bad guy becomes the good guy. He is the one who acts humanely. And by telling this story, Jesus is effectively saying, there is no other anymore. There is no limit, in the words of Two Unlimited, anymore. There are no outsiders anymore. There is no line when it comes to who we may or may not love. Because we are called to just love. Not to draw a line, not to qualify, not to rule people out, not to just focus on those that we really like the look of, but to love people with the love of God. 
We are called to love even the most unlikely people and to have the mercy of God upon them. And it's hard stuff to do. You know, it's not easy to love people. It's not easy to cross boundaries. It's not easy to reach out to unfamiliar territory. But God doesn't ask us to do it out of our own goodwill, out of our own trying hard, out of our own brilliant ideas. He says to us, love me first. Put me first. Seek me with all your strength, all your soul, all your heart, all your mind. And the love for your neighbor is what comes from me because I love them. I love them. And as I love you, you will gain a greater love for them. You see, when we read this story, here's my question to you. Who do you identify with? All of us really want to be the good Samaritan, right? We want to be the hero. We think if we were walking down that road, we would definitely have done something. We couldn't have walked past. No way. I'm sure like at least 90% of you out there watching this are thinking in your own heads, I definitely have done something. But you know, Jesus doesn't give us that option when we read this story. He doesn't give us the option to be the good Samaritan. Because I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. But that's his job. That's his role. He is the surprising hero of the story. He is the one who was misunderstood. He is the one who was outcast. He is the one who risked everything to pick us up off the floor, to rescue us from our abandonment, to to be shamed in order to bring us honour, to be broken in order to bring us wholeness. You see, there's only two parts that we can play in this story. One is the man who has been beaten, who has been left, who has been forgotten and abandoned and passed over. And perhaps that's how you feel this morning. Perhaps you feel like life has done you a bad turn. Things have happened. You've lost people close to you. Stuff hasn't worked out. Housing is insecure. Family is tricky. Jobs are non-existent. Money is a nightmare. Everything is against you. You need that good Samaritan today, that is Jesus. He is the only one who can really rescue you. And the other role, the more complex role sometimes in the story that Jesus has left open to us is that we can be the legal expert or the the Levite or the priest. But basically the one who knows the stuff in our heads. We know the law, we know what we're supposed to do. And yet we're trying to clarify it. We're trying to qualify it. We're trying to work out where the bottom line is. What's the least I have to do to get away with this? What's the minimum commitment? What's the smallest act of mercy that I can get away with? You know, I know it all in my head, but I've got an issue with doing. I've got an issue with putting it into practice. And twice in this story, Jesus says, do likewise, Go and do what he did. It's about doing. We can fill up our heads with loads of great stuff in church. We can hear great teaching. We can listen to beautiful worship. We can fill up our minds with amazing revelation. But it just sits there and doesn't have an outlet if we're not prepared to do what he said. To do love. To just love those people around us. Have you been trying to test God? Have you been bargaining with him? Have you been looking for limits for what he would have you do? Then stop this morning and return to him. Ask him to fill you with his love. You know, people who join Eden 
often are looked upon as rather strange, maybe extraordinary, maybe super Christians by some people. But that's not the case. We're just people who love God. And we know that by loving him first, his love will enable us to reach the world around us. I've got a friend called Beth, who is an Eden worker over in Partington in Trafford. And uh, she says this, she said, even as a teenager, I didn't like other teenagers. I remember one night, though, asking God to give me a passion for young people. It was the quickest God's ever answered my prayers. It felt like overnight I became heartbroken for the kids we were working with. They didn't know God or have that hope or know what God thought about them. The quickest prayer God ever answered was give me a passion for your people. Give me love for my neighbour. Jesus calls us to be the neighbour, to do the work of love, putting his love into action, hands and feet and hearts and soul and strength and mind. So let us pray together in a moment. And I'd love to pray for two different people. I'd love to pray for those of you who are like the man, who are broken, who have been passed over, who are wounded and who need the rescuer that is Jesus this morning. And secondly, I want to pray for those of you who are questioning, bargaining, so unsure, so frustrated. Maybe you've even tried loving your neighbours before and you've had your fingers burnt because it's messy and they're not always very nice and it backfires. But let's pray into those two things. And... um, If you want to find out more about the work of Eden, if you want to hear more, then please do check out our website, joineden.org. Please do um, check in with our social media today. There'll be all sorts of talks and testimonies and information. We've got a challenge for you to do for 30 days of loving your neighbour. We've got small group studies, all sorts of stuff like that to resource you to actually do this stuff. You don't need to relocate to some place in the inner city or some outer council estate. You can love people where you are of course if you want to relocate call me but you don't have to because God calls you to love where you are and that is the best place to start so I'm going to pray for all of those people out there today who are wounded who are broken who have been done over by life Jesus would you rescue them today God would you shower them with mercy Would you open yourself up to him today? Would you let him in? Would you let him pick you up? Would you let him rescue you? Would you see his compassionate eyes for you this morning? Would you respond to him? Would you follow him into healing, into wholeness, into love? And for those of us who struggle with loving other people, who are fearful, who are... are, attached to ourselves and our comfort and our our way of life as we have it God would you just shake us a little bit more in this season we have been shook so much by coronavirus and all the restrictions but God we give you permission for a bit more of a shake and we say God attach us first and foremost to you and your love reattach us And as we receive your love this morning, Jesus, I pray you would put a new passion in us for everyone that you would love, God. Replace our apathy with love. Replace our fear with compassion. Replace our questions with acceptance, Jesus. This morning we pray in your name.
Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media. Thank you.